come today to the crucifixion of Jesus, the most ruthless crime in all the annals of ignoble history, yet the most glorious, the most hopeful event of all time. The spot of Calvary is the center of all things. Here two eternities meet. The streams of ancient history converge here, and here the river of modern history takes its rise. The eyes of the patriarchs and the prophets strain toward Calvary, and now the eyes of all generations and all races look back to it. This is the end of all roads. The seeker of truth finds truth, the weary finds rest, the bereaved finds sympathy, and the sinner finds forgiveness. But why did Jesus stay on the cross? He was the Lord of glory. John's Gospel reminds us, as Brother Mickey so faithfully preached on Teen Time last Sunday night, that the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same as in the beginning with God, and without Him was not anything made that was made, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And that Word was God, and that Word was Jesus. And he who knew no sin became the accursed thing of sin for you and me. And when he went to the cross on the skull-shaped hill of Golgotha, and all the people of Jerusalem wagging their heads at him and mocking him, and some saying, if you're really the Christ, come down from the cross and save yourself and us. So that one thief said on one side of the cross, well, why did he not come down? What held Jesus to the cross? In Matthew 26, 53, we read that it was not friendlessness. He could have called legions of angels. In John 10, 18, we know it was not human weakness. He had all the authority and power of God. In Matthew 28, 19, and 20, we know it was not the powerlessness Jesus said himself, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Well, what was it that held Jesus to the cross? When we came out of the Damascus Gate, the north wall of Jerusalem, and with our imagined mind, without all the buildings that are presently there, could look over and see the skull-shaped hill of Golgotha, Presently, there's a bus station built at the bottom. There are buildings in the way. You have to go beyond the bus station to see it from the walls of Jerusalem. But there's that skull-shaped hill. Below it was the place of stoning. It is said that Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was stoned there. Some believe Jesus was crucified at the foot of that cross, foot of that hill, where the stoning took place. Others believe that Jesus was crucified on top of the hill. I believe that. All those who passed by wagged their heads. They could all see him. Jesus died publicly by the road, the Roman road, one leading to Damascus, the other leading east toward Saudi Arabia. And right in the center of it all, in the center of history, in that little bridge of the nations, the Son of God came 
and gave his life for our sins. Well, what was it that held him there? I be, believe it was the magnet of our sins that held Jesus to the cross. In Genesis chapter 6, after God had made the world and man had sinned, the Bible says God looked down on man. He repented him that he had made man. He determined that he would bring judgment. And he said, the days of the years will be 120 years. And he gave Noah the commission to preach for 120 years, to build that ark, to warn men there would be judgment on sin. That has always been in the heart of God. There is a constitutional judgment written against sin in the very universe. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. We cannot get by with sin. Nobody has ever succeeded in getting by with sin. All of God's accounts are not settled in December or January or in October or November. Sometimes it's a long time. Jezebel and Ahab thought they'd gotten by with their terrible sin against Naboth, the Jezreelite, when they stole his vineyard and killed him. Years went by. Elijah had said, the dogs will eat Jezebel. And the dogs will lick the blood of Ahab. 20 years went by and Ahab is still king and Jezebel still queen. And then the hound of judgment came. Ahab went out to battle. He had all of his armor on and a nameless, aimless bowman took aim and God directed that arrow between the crevices of Ahab's armor and he paid the judgment that was required a life for a life. And the dogs came and licked the blood of Ahab on his chariot. Jezebel still reigned as queen. Jehu was commissioned by God to go and put to death the house of Ahab and he came riding into Jezreel and their mission was sent out, is your mission peace? And Jesus said, how can there be peace as long as the whoredoms of Jezebel prevail? That woman who had tried to stomp out Jehovah worship and enforce Baal worship on the land. And when he came into the city, there were some eunuchs up in the, in the balcony and the, standing by Jezebel. And Jehu said, throw her down. And they threw Jezebel down and her body splashed on the sidewalks down there. And the chariot wheels ran over her. And the dogs came and ate all there was of Jezebel except the palms of her hand and her skull. God said it and it happened. I want to tell you, nobody has ever gotten by with sin. Sin is a terrible thing. We live in an age where sin is mocked at and laughed at and enjoyed and people say, come on, there's nothing wrong with it. But God has written a constitutional spiritual amendment against sin and sin will be punished. There's not a just man on earth that doeth good and sinneth not. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. God said sin must be punished the wages of sin is death. Jesus became man's substitute. 
In Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we're healed. Jesus took my place and your place. And when I looked at that cross, there's no cross there now. A number of years ago when I was there, people were selling pieces of a cross. They said this was the cross Jesus died on. Well, they've gotten more honest now. Nobody's selling any pieces of the cross. That was long gone years ago. But in mind's eye, as Brother Lloyd sang a few moments ago, in our mind's eye, we can see that skull-shaped hill and those crosses up on top of the hill. And when I thought of that, and we, we paused there and had a little service, individual service, Next Sunday morning on the Anchored Broadcast, some of our people will be sharing from that very place at Calvary some of the impressions they had. And the impression I had was Jesus dying for me. If there had been nobody else, he would have died for me. He died for you. You see, the wages of sin is death. Every one of us should have been crucified, but Jesus took it himself. Jesus became our substitute. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. It was the magnet of our sins that held Jesus to the cross that day. I read the story of a country schoolhouse. The teacher had tried to keep school and as in the older days, older days, and the boys would run the teacher off. They were big bullies, and uh, no teacher could stay there very long. And finally, they employed a young lady who was a godly young lady. And she came before the class, and she said, Now, boys and girls, I want you to make the rules. You decide what our punishment shall be. I'm not going to make the rules. You make them. Let's list them. So they began to list the rules on the blackboard. <clears throat> No cheating on tests, nobody being late to class, and nobody stealing, and so on. And then out beside those rules, she said, now, those rules won't meet anything unless we have some punishment for them. And I want you to decide what the punishment shall be. Well, this shocked the kids. They'd never had a teacher like that before. So beside each rule, there was a punishment written. And when they came to that rule about stealing, out beside it, 20 lashes across the bare back. That's pretty stiff. Things went fine for a while. One day, a boy came and said, my lunch has been stolen. I don't have any lunch. The teacher called them all together after recess and said, now, Boys and girls, I want the person who did this, who stole that lunch, to be honest enough to come and confess it and take your punishment. There was silence. After a while, a little boy got up and came to the teacher. With tears in his eyes, he said, Teacher, I did it. I'm so sorry. But he said, uh, I didn't have anything to eat yesterday. I didn't have any lunch to bring, and I was hungry. 
and I stole that lunch and I'm so sorry. And the teacher said, well, Sonny, you know the rule. We made the rules, you all made the rules and we'll have to obey it now. You take your coat off and I'll give these lashes across the bare back. And the little boy said, teacher, don't make me take my coat off. She said, you have to take it off. He took his coat off and he didn't have any shirt under it. He didn't have any shoes on. He was a poor little guy. And just as she was to bring the lash down, a great big boy got up. The boy whose lunch had been stolen. He came up, he took his coat off. He bent over the teacher's desk and he said, you give me the lashes instead of giving them to that little boy. I'll take his whipping. He's the one whose lunch was stolen. And he took the whipping for the little boy. Folks, that's what Jesus did. He took the whipping for you and me. It was our sins that nailed him to the cross. He could have called legions of angels, but he stayed there so that you and I would have our sins punished by him. The Bible says every sin and every just transgression must receive a just recompense of reward. Every one of us will have to be punished for sin. Every sin will be punished. God never winks at it. And either we accept the punishment for our own sins in an eternal hell, or we come to Jesus who went to the cross and took my sin and your sin dying for us. <clears throat> Secondly, it was not only the magnet of our sins, it was the magnet of his resignation to the divine will of God. In Gethsemane Garden, and we were there, neath those old olive trees, some of them looking like they were two or 3,000 years old, very possibly Jesus had knelt beneath that olive tree. And when the Lord was there, he had asked Peter, James, and John to watch for a while and pray with him. Then he went a little farther and prayed alone on a big rock. <clears throat> and he cried out, not my will, but thine be done. If it were possible, may this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thine be done. It was the eternal resignation to the wonderful will of God that kept Jesus on the cross that day. Thirdly, it was the magnet of his loyalty to an eternal purpose. When man had sinned, God came in the cool of the garden and said, Adam, where art thou? Adam was hiding. You people all... hide from the judgment of their sins. Men love darkness because their deeds are evil. And they try to hide from sin and from sin's remedy, a judgment rather. And so Adam and Eve were hiding. They had made themselves fig leaves and tried to cover themselves with that. They were doing the best they could, but folks, the best we can is never good enough. You can never cover sin by the best deeds of your word and your work and your law. And so Jesus in God killed an animal. And he took the blood of that animal as a sacrifice 
He took the skins of the animal and clothed Adam and Eve. And ever since that day, men who get right with God want to clothe themselves. We're living in an age when people want to go naked or half naked all the time. That was never God's plan. God planned for us to clothe ourselves, to hide our nakedness because our nakedness is part of the shame of sin. And today we live in an age when people just laugh at that and scoff at that and say there's no shame in it at all. And people have lost the ability to blush and have any kind of modesty. Someone said modesty is gone and virtue is fading. But God didn't leave it there. He spoke to Satan. And in Genesis 3.15, the first promise of the coming of the Messiah, he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Thou shalt bruise his heel, but he will bruise thy head. Now, which is worse, a heel wound or a head wound? It was Jesus who was going to crush forever the head of the devil. And just before Jesus died on the cross, he said, now is his heel lifted against me. And it was Satan lifting his heel against Jesus at the cross. But the reason Christ stayed on the cross was because one day he would crush forever the head of the devil and would cast him out into the abyss forever. It was his magnet, the magnet of his loyalty to the eternal purpose of God. The prophets had announced his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And Jesus fulfilled that perfectly. Before the foundations of the world, before the world was made, God promised that Jesus would die on a cross. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. All through the ages, men had searched for a way back. Jesus is that way back. Fourthly, it was the magnet or cord of the Savior's love, the divine love of God. In John 15, 9, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. In John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. In John 13, 1, it was the unchangeable love of God, having loved his only, loved him to the end. It was a proven love. In Romans 5, 8, but God proved his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 8, 38 and 39, I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It was his love. And when we stood there at Calvary, and looked up at that skull-shaped hill and imagined the cross on top, I thought of an old poem. I know, yes, I know that he loves me so. He sits by the windows, the long ages roll, where an eon of time is the brush of his hand, yet the king of all kings seeks the love of each man. Should the light of the sun in time flicker and die, and the earth wander off like a tramp through the skies, the darkness can't hide me, he'll find me, I know, for men are his diamonds. And he loves me so. Beloved, he loves you. It was his love that led him to the cross and kept him on the cross. The Roman soldiers, they laughed at him. They gambled for his garments. The Jewish leaders, 
stood there in smug self-righteousness. At last, they had gotten what they wanted. The disciples, they all ran away in fear. And when the earth did quake, and that God refused to allow the sun to shine on that terrible scene at Calvary, Everybody ran off in fear and somebody came running out from the streets of Jerusalem saying, High priest, high priest, the veil of the temple is rent in twain from the top to the bottom, indicating that never again would anybody have to go and offer a blood sacrifice for sin, for Jesus was that blood sacrifice. And when I saw the cleansing fountain, I came in repentance and faith to Jesus, trust him as Savior and Lord. Well, it was our sins, it was the resignation to God's will, the loyalty to an eternal purpose, and the Savior's love that held Jesus to the cross. Nations have risen and fallen. Empires have come to brilliance and crumbled and ruined away. Emperors and monarchs and kings have all passed on. At one time the world turned to Alexander, but Alexander's gone. The world came to Hannibal, the general of Carthage, but Hannibal's gone. The world came to Caesar, and he's gone. The world came to Napoleon, and he's gone. When I was growing up, the world came to Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and he's gone. Who does the world turn to tonight, today? The man who died on a cross, Jesus. But I want to tell you, they don't know about him. In the age and the land where we live, they don't know about him. I asked some people in Jerusalem, do you know Jesus? They said, who is that? One day I was up in Sychar near the Jacob's well and I said to a, a young man there, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ, your savior? He said, who is Jesus? That's in the land where Jesus lived and performed those miracles. I asked a little boy over at Pasco, Washington, if he'd come to Bible school. We were starting a church over there he said, what do you do at Bible school? I said, we learn about Jesus and how to go to heaven. He said, who is Jesus? I was out witnessing in Lewisport, Kentucky one time. We're having a revival meeting out in the back of a house. There were some kids playing and I found a little boy named Bernie. I said, Bernie, I wish you'd come to the revival meeting. He said, what do you do at a revival meeting? I said, that's where we learn about Jesus, how to go to heaven when we die. And that little boy right here in Kentucky said, who is Jesus? Now, I want to tell you, they don't know. You and I know. You have a little card in your hand, a card that says, by the grace of God, I want to promise God to be a faithful soul winner and witness this year and do what I can to bring others to Jesus. 1997, I think there's some people in this room today who, when we began 1996, were lost, and had they died, they'd gone to hell forever and forever. But by the grace of God, God opened their hearts, and through the preaching of the Word and personal witness, they came to know Jesus. There's some here today who began 1995 that way. I know I began 1930 that way. 1939, I was that way, lost. And somebody cared enough, a lady on the train, said, are you a Christian? I said, no. And she wrote a letter to a preacher in Louisville who came to see me and tried to show me from the Bible how to be saved. Now I want to ask you, knowing that every sin will be punished, 
Every transgression, whether people believe it or don't believe it, it's true. And when they come to the end of the way, and they do not have the protective covering of the wedding garments of Christ in His righteousness, they will be cast into an eternal separation from God forever and forever. That means your mother, your daddy, your brother, your sister, your loved ones, your friends, lost. What are we going to do about it? What will we at Glendale Baptist Church in 1997 do about it? I want to ask you if you care enough on this soul-winning commitment day to say, by the grace of God, I care. I may not be able to reach everybody, but there's surely somebody I can reach. I'm going to try. I'm going to ask God to use me. I'm going to make a commitment asking God to use me for His glory this year to win precious people to Jesus, bring them to the cross, help them to know the Lord. Maybe pray together. With our heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. Would you ask God in your heart, Lord, what will thou have me to do about this? And my friend, if you've never been saved, you don't know the Lord at all as your Savior. You don't have the assurance in your heart that when you die, you're going to heaven. Would you be willing right now to just reach out and say, Lord, I need you. I want you. I don't want to be lost. I need Christ. I want to be saved. And I had the best way I know how. I asked Jesus to come into my heart and save me. Thank you that you not only died on the cross, but three days later you were raised from the dead and you're a living Savior. And I believe in you and I want you and I want to repent of my sins and ask Christ to save me. Would you do that now? And those who are saved... What will you do about the lostness of people all around us? Would you, by the grace of God, say, I want Jesus to use me this year. I want to ask him to use me to win the lost, to develop myself as a Christian, to grow in the Word of God, to read the Word and to pray, and to be a faithful man for God or a woman for God young person for God, a child for God. Would you say that? Our Father, we pray that in the closing moment of this service, there'll be victory, that some that will be on our prayer lists would be saved in 1997 because of a service like this, when some young man, young woman, young lady, some child, some adult, would come and place on that altar a commitment saying, God, if you use me, I'll go. I'll try to win people. And those who are without Jesus, may they come to Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Would you stand and turn to page 300? I have a Savior. He's pleading in glory. A dear loving Savior, though earth's friends be few. I want to ask you, first of all, those who are saved, God's children, if you have a burden in your heart, if you have a care in your heart, and you could say by the grace of God, I want to ask God to use me this year to lead people to Jesus. I'd like to ask you to fill that little card out. I hope you've already filled it out. Come and place it on the altar, on the communion table, on the Bible. And uh, 
Just remain here a moment or two. We'll have prayer and then you can go back to your place. Those who are without Jesus, seriously think, what am I going to do about Jesus? Who is called the Christ? What shall I do with him? While we begin to sing, would you step out, do what God tells you to do? For you I am praying, will you come?